0: Well, Mary and I have uh, been watching this kind of new, unique game show called The Hustler. Have any of you guys watched that at all? It's kind of an interesting uh, take on a game show because what they do is they have, they have five different contestants, and one of the five contestants is known as The Hustler. And these five contestants, they have to work together. They have ten questions that are worth $10,000 each, and they have to work together to get the answers to the questions. But the, the trick is that the hustler knows all the answers because they're based on his or her life. And so what the hustler has to do all throughout the game show, they have to lie and deceive and try to get the other people not to guess who they are because at the end of the show, if nobody guesses who the hustler is, the hustler gets to keep all the money, which could be, in some cases, some of the shows we watch, like almost $200,000. However, the, if, he, if they don't guess... Uh, if the hustler does get guests, then there's two people left, and they get to split the money. And I was thinking about that. It, it, it seems to me that that game show really kind of reflects the culture that we live in, doesn't it? We live in a culture where where it's really hard to trust someone, to trust their word, to trust that what they say is is really true. I mean, we live in a world where it's just common anymore to have broken Wedding vows to have politicians lie to us, I mean those are things we just come to expect in our culture right and and what i 'm worried about is that sometimes that that culture can kind of rub off on our relationship with god now i don't know of anyone in here for sure, and probably not a lot of people, even those outside the church, if you were to ask them, does god lie they would they would they 'd hesitate to say, Well, no, God doesn't really lie, but if you look at their lives, what you 'd find is that they live in a way often where you can tell they don't really believe in the promises of God because their lives don't reflect that they really believe who he is and they don't believe the promises that he's made. Now this morning we're going to wrap up at least for now our study in the book of Hebrews that we've been going through. We're going to pick up next year and in chapter 7 we got a couple more sermon series before the end of the year including Christmas and and we'll pick up next year in chapter 7, but I think this is a really good time for us to break in our study of the book of Hebrews, you know, especially after the last two weeks. There's, face it, there's been some pretty sober warnings the last two weeks, right, about making sure that we don't, that we don't fail to grow up in our walk with Jesus, to make sure that we don't drift away from Him because there's some serious consequences, But one of the things I love about the book of Hebrews is it seems like the author always comes back around to these times of encouragement. And this morning we're going to see one of those times, we're going to see one of these times where he's going to encourage us, he's going to talk to us about the faithfulness of God and the difference that that ought to make in our lives. And so I'm really excited this morning to to share this message from God's word because I think it's a word of encouragement that all of us could use in our lives. So what I'm going to do this morning, even before we read the passage, I'm going to give you what the big idea is that we're going to be talking about this morning. And then we'll look at the passage we'll kind of dig through it and see how we can kind of build on that. So here's the big idea that we're going to pursue this morning. The confident expectation of my future salvation anchors my soul in my present storms that that confident expectation that we can have in our future salvation, what God has in store for us down the road, that that anchors our storms as we go through, through our life right now, anchors us in those storms. And I know some of you are going through storms right now. I, I know some people that have gone through some, some really tough things, even just this week. And so my prayer is this morning is that God's word would encourage you and uplift you in those times, so that you can, you can be anchored in the time of storms. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. We're going to finish up the chapter, as I said. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 this morning. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying... in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what's the first word in this passage this morning? What's the first word? Word for, right? And remember, we talked about last week that that when the word for is in there, that's always something that's really important. It's pointing back to what came right before it. So let's begin this morning by looking at the verses right before this passage. If you go back to verses 11 and 12, you remember we we, we, uh, looked at these verses last week. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end that's such a an important phrase there the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so what he's doing is he's tying this back to the passage right before that, and you remember there was, a, there was a strong warning there, but he ends with this word of encouragement. We saw that the purpose of the author was not to get people to question their salvation, but rather than to have great confidence in their salvation. And so what he's writing today is going to help us to understand why it is that we can have full assurance of our salvation, and how that becomes the anchor for our soul as we go through the storms of life. And in order to do that here, he uses the example of Abraham. And I was thinking about that last week. Why, why would he use Abraham? I mean, of all the, all the examples he could have gone back and used in the scriptures, why Abraham? I think there's two reasons, maybe more, but at least two. First of all, Abraham comes about a thousand years before Moses and the law is ever established. And remember here, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to, the, to these Jewish Christians who are, who are wanting or who are considering going back to their old Jewish faith in which they try to observe the law. And what he's pointing out is that, that, that righteousness has always been by faith, even before the law came along a thousand years later. And so he uses the example of Abraham. The second reason is because Abraham is a, a great example of faith. When we get to Hebrews chapter 11, that faith hall of fame, he's going to spend a lot of his time writing about Abraham. Now, Abraham's far from perfect, but he is a man who consistently exhibited faith in God in his life, even to the point of being willing to, to kill his own son, lifting up the knife, getting ready to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. And so he's a great example for us of how we can how we can have that anchor in the storm because he was looking forward to to some promises of God and he depended on the promises of God just the way that we can so let's see this morning what we can learn from Abraham's example and the first thing that we can learn from that is that God's promises can be counted on because of two things we can count on his promises because of two things. It talks about here in this passage, the writer says there are two unchangeable truths. And most commentators that would look at this passage, they would say those two unchangeable things are the promise of God and the oath of God, and I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But I think if you, if you think about the promise of God, it, it, it's it rooted in something even more basic. So there's really two things I think this morning that we can, that we can count on the promises of God because of, the first is just because of his character, because of who he is. It tells us here that, that God, his character is unchangeable and that he's a God that cannot lie. That's who he is, that, that, that's, that's who God is. He can't act in a way that's different in his character. And Abraham understood that. He understood that God was not a God who had life. So when God comes to him and he makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to multiply him and increase him and bless him and make him into a nation through whom all the other nations of the earth are going to be blessed, Abraham understands he can count on that promise of God just because of who God is. And the same thing is true for us. We can count on the promises of God because that's What his character is. So so when God promises us something, we can count on it. That's what it says here. God swears on himself because there's no one greater to swear on. We can count on those promises because of who God is. There's a second thing, though. We can count on them because of his oath. Now, there was a really interesting uh, way in which people in Abraham's day would seal a covenant. What they would do is they would take an animal... And they would kill that animal, and they would cut it in half, and they would lay the two pieces of the animal to to the two sides, and then they would walk between the two parts of the animal. It was called cutting a covenant. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. And when they did that, what they were doing is they were promising to each other that they would carry out the terms of that covenant that they'd made with the other person. Well, something really interesting happens in Genesis chapter 15 says there that God comes to Abraham, this is after he's made these promises to Abraham, and he tells Abraham to kill a bunch of different animals, some birds and some other animals, and he tells him to, to cut, kill them, and cut them in half and place them on the two sides, kind of like they would do for a regular covenant. But then God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep, and God basically goes through, the presence of God goes through the midst of the the parts of the animals there. And that's really significant because it points out a couple of things. In a sense, what God is doing, he's making an oath or a covenant with himself. It's not a conditional covenant. Abraham never walked through there. Abraham didn't do anything. He's sleeping while God's doing all this. But God does it to to let us know that he is serious about this covenant, that he's going to keep the covenant even if Abraham doesn't. It's an unconditional covenant covenant and because of that we can count on God's promises today too because he makes a lot of unconditional promises doesn't he in his scriptures that we can that we can count on that we can live according to that we can be encouraged by we're going to talk a little bit more about that later so the first thing the first thing we learn from Abraham is that we can count on God's promises here's the second thing that we learn. We learn that God's promises often require perseverance. It says in this passage that that Abraham had to wait on the promises of God to be fulfilled. And sometimes I think we read through the scriptures and we don't have any sense of the timelines that are kind of involved here. But God first comes to Abraham when Abraham's about 70 years old. He says, Abraham, I'm going to call you to go to a different land. I want you to pick up and go. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going to send him. And Abraham picks up and he takes his family and he, he goes, as God tells him. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and a lot of us are familiar with that. That's where God makes the promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to, the promise that it, that, that's quoted here in Hebrews, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to make you into a great nation who's going to bless all the other peoples of the world. And he's about 75 years old, about five years later. And Abraham goes along and he kind of trusts in God, but, but it gets to a point where he's beginning to wonder if God's going to really come through on his promise. So when he's 86 years old, he and Sarah decide that, well, you know, God still hasn't provided a son. Maybe we ought to try something different. So Sarah says, I want you to go into my, my servant and we'll, you can have a child with her. And Ishmael is born. And then it's another 14 years until the son of promise, until Isaac is born. So think about that. That's 30 years from the time that God tells Abraham to pick up and go where I'm going to send you to the point where Isaac, the son of promise, is born. It's 25 years from the time he makes the promise till the time that promise is fulfilled. And in essence, the promise still wasn't completely fulfilled, was it? It wasn't completely fulfilled until the time of Jesus. And here's what Jesus said about that in John chapter 8. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now Abraham obviously didn't know all the details about Jesus, but he believed what God had promised him, that one day that from his lineage would come a son, would come a descendant who would bless all the peoples of the earth. And it took that long for that promise to be fulfilled. And guess what? Here we are today, about 2,000 years later, and what are we doing? We're waiting on the promise of God again, aren't we? He's promised, Jesus has promised that he's going to come back, that he'll return to this earth. And we've been waiting about 2,000 years for him to do that since the time he left, and he still hasn't come back. So we have to wait. But I can tell you this, even though probably a lot of us in this room We'll never see that in this lifetime. That promise is just as sure as the promises that God made to Abraham almost 4,000 years ago. And so we can count on those promises. Here's the third thing that we can learn from, from Abraham's example, and that is this, that our anchor is secure on both ends. That's really important for us to understand. This is the only time in the Bible that the Bible uses a metaphor of an anchor. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And it talks here about this steadfast anchor of the soul that we we have. And when that phrase is used, the, the language there is kind of ambiguous. We're not really sure if the anchor is the promises of God, or if maybe the anchor is our hope, or if maybe the anchor is Jesus. And you know what? I don't think we have to choose between the three because they're, they're all so interconnected that you can't really separate them anyway. Now, an anchor on a boat is only good if it's secure on both ends, right? I mean, if you want to secure your boat, you better make sure that anchor is secure on both ends. It, it, one end goes down into the water, and there it has to connect to something that's immovable, Maybe a rock or some reef or something else. But, but until it actually connects with something there, that boat can still drift around. It can be damaged. It can be destroyed. The other thing, at the other end, the anchor also has to be connected firmly to the boat. Because if it's not secured to the boat, that boat's going to drift away. Again, it'll be damaged. It might be destroyed. The same thing is true for our soul. We need an anchor that is secure on both ends. Now, one end of the anchor, unlike an anchor of a boat that goes down into the water, we're told here that there's an anchor that goes up into heaven. It goes up, it says, where where Jesus is behind the curtain it tells us here which is a reference obviously to the holy of holies we've talked about this a lot throughout this series the holy of holies was the place where the high priest in either in the tabernacle or later the temple where the high priest would go in once a year on the day of atonement he would go behind the curtain and he would make sacrifices on behalf of the people the problem as we've talked about before he had to do that year after year after year well Jesus it tells us that that he went behind the curtain, but he did that after making a sacrifice once for all. He doesn't have to do that over and over again. And now it tells us he's seated in the heavens at the right hand of God, and he can be seated because his work is done. And he's there, as we've talked about before, he's interceding on our behalf. He's cheering us on. I love to think about how Jesus is there just cheering us on. So we know that 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 end of the anchor is secure. There's no doubt about it. But how about the other end of the anchor where we're at? I mean, here we see an encouragement to hold fast to the anchor. So does that mean that, that I have to hang on to it myself? Is that my responsibility? Is that something that I have to do? Because if it is, let's face it, most of us aren't going to hang on to that anchor very well all the time, right? We're going to let go of it sometime. We're going to drift around and we're going to get beat up. and We're going to get smashed. So if if that's dependent upon me, I, I think I'm in trouble, but it's not. It's dependent on what Jesus has already done for us. See, my salvation is not a result. My present or my future salvation is not a result of anything I've done. It's what Jesus has already done for me. Paul writes about this in Philippians, where he writes this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, here's the thing. The phrase is there, make it my own, the phrase, made me his own the word that's used there is a word that's very similar to the word that's used for hold fast here in hebrews so here's what paul is saying he's saying basically that i hang on to jesus that i seize jesus but he says the only reason i can do that is because jesus is already hanging on to me aren't you glad for that Aren't you glad that, that our being able to hang on to that anchor that is not dependent on us, but that, that God has already assured us that he's hanging on to us, and that's why we're secure? Once again, as, as has often been the case in this series, I find that John Piper has a much more eloquent way of expressing this than I do. So here's, here's what he said about this. He said, what Christ bought for us when he died was not the freedom from having to hold fast, but the enabling power to hold fast. What he bought was not the nullification of our wills as though we didn't have to hold fast, but the empowering of our wills because we want to hold fast. What he bought was not the canceling of the commandment to hold fast, but the fulfillment of the commandment to hold fast. Don't you like that? What it's telling us is that, man, we're we're secure. That anchor is secure because... At both ends, it's depending on what God has already done for us and not what we can do. So those are the things we can learn from Abraham's example. And that's why we've said this morning that the confident expectation of my future salvation anchors my soul in my present storms. And the reason that I've used that phrase confident expectation here is is because of what I shared with the kids this morning. When we use the word hope, sometimes we think of it just in terms of like wishful thinking. Like earlier this week, Ryan hoped that the Dodgers were going to win the World Series. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen now for him. Or think about the people that hope they're going to win the lottery. They go out and buy lottery tickets, even though they know the odds of winning are like one in 300 million they sure hope they're going to win well god's hope isn't like that at all it's that confident expectation it's knowing that we can count on the promises of god 100 percent because of who god is so if that's true then how do we make sure that jesus is our anchor when we go through the storms of life i want to share with you three things i think that we can do three really practical ways that we can make sure that Jesus is our anchor in the storms. Here's the first thing that we need to do. We need to read and meditate on the Bible. I know you guys are really shocked at this one, right? I mean, we talk about this almost every week because it's so important. And we do, we need to be in the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is what reveals the character of God. And if a lot of the reason that we can count on the promises of God is, is His character, then we need to understand what that is. But we need to do more than just read it. We need to chew on it. We need to think about it all the time. That's that idea of meditating on it. One of the words that's used for meditate in the Bible is a a picture of a cow chewing on its cud, bringing it up over and over, chewing on it. And that's what we need to do with God's Word. And as we've talked about time after time, it's important that we read all of God's Word. So we need to read it in a systematic manner. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that when you get in those storms of life, that there's there's some particular portions of of God's Word that I think you need to turn to. The first thing are God's promises. Now, there are two kinds of promises in the Scripture, and we need to understand this. There are are general promises that apply to all of God's people, and those are the ones that I want you to, to take a look at and go after and claim and meditate on. But there's also some promises in there that are, that are made to specific people or to specific groups of people. For instance, there are promises in the Bible that are made only for Israel. And if you're not part of Israel, if you're not a Jew, then those promises don't necessarily apply to you. Now, can we learn from them? Absolutely. But we can't go around claiming that God's going to do that. There are other promises in the Bible. I mean, I think going back to Abraham... You know, when he's 90 years old, God promises, or 100 years old, God promises him he's going to have a son. Sarah's 90. Now, does that mean that all of you are going to have children when you're 90 or 100 years old? I don't think so. But we need to go back to those promises, and and they're all throughout the scriptures. If you just look for them, I can guarantee if you're reading the Bible every day that you're going to come across a lot of these. And I like to highlight them. I like to to, to underline them i like to write them down so that i can i can think about them but let's say you're man you still just don't know where where do i find promises of god google is your best friend i can tell you you will find all kinds of lists out there there's a list that's like 365 promises of god one for every day of the year i i saw one this day this week that said 7,000 promises of god i don't know if there's that many but there's a lot out there right So find those promises of God. Because when we're going through the storms, that's what we want to do. We want to count on God's character. And that character is revealed in those promises. The second area that I want you to focus on are passages that confirm our future salvation. There's a lot of those too. You know, we tend to live in the present. And I understand that. But the problem when we get in a storm is what happens when we begin to look around at the storm instead of looking at God. And the best way I know of to look at God is to, is to meditate, to think about, to focus on this great future salvation that God has in store for us. It is so, it's so much better than anything that we could ever think or, or imagine. Again, I could give you some help with this, but start with Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Read about the new Jerusalem that's going to be our our permanent dwelling place for eternity. Read 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about these new resurrection bodies that we're going to get one day that won't wear out and get sick. Man, go go back to the Old Testament prophets. There's so much in there about this future salvation that God has promised for us. So find those passages. Again, if you need some help, let me know. But but I think you'll find those. If you you just read in the Bible, you're going to find them. So we have to read and, and meditate on those things. The second thing is to pray and to thank God for his great salvation. As you see those passages, stop for a moment and pray. If prayer is a communication, if it's a conversation with God, which I believe it is, then as God speaks to you in his word, what do you do? You speak back to him about it. And as you read about that great future salvation, what you do, you turn around and you, you, you praise God for that and thank Him for that. Here's the thing. I, if you get in the middle of a storm and you're just focusing on the storms, you're going to probably have problems. But if you start to thank God and praise God for His future salvation, I think it's pretty darn hard to sit there and, 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 and wallow in self-pity and despair when you think about the greatness of what God has before you. So thank him for that. Finally, it talks in this passage about how we're to exhort each other to lay hold of that blessed hope. Probably about a month and a half ago, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, and and we were talking just about this. We were talking about how great this future salvation is and, and how... Whatever we're going through in this world, it just pales in comparison. And a few weeks after that, this friend of mine came down with COVID, and he got really, really sick. Fortunately, he's doing better now. But as we were talking after he kind of went through that, he said, you know, Pat, we, after we had that conversation, that's, that's part of what helped to kind of sustain me as I went through that, that difficult time is that we just spend that time talking about this great future salvation. I think we need to all have more conversations like that. That if we would do that, that, that would help us to, to have that anchor in those times. So we've seen this morning that the confident expectation... Of my future salvation, it anchors my soul in my present storms. So so what does that mean for each one of us? Well, first of all, let me address those of you who may have never put your faith in Jesus. You know, if that's the case, then, then I'm here to just lovingly tell you that you're not going to have an anchor in the storm. That you need to make that decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. If you're trying to live life on your own, You're not going to have that anchor in the storm. And so you need to do that today. And we would love to talk to you more about how you can do that in your life. It's a really important decision. So I'm not going to ask you this morning to raise your hand or pray a prayer or do something like that because we would like to talk with you to make sure you understand that decision as a whole and what it means to you. And when the sermon's over, I'm going to actually tell you how you can get a hold of us so that we can do that. For the rest of us, You know, we have that anchor, but sometimes we can kind of get away from that anchor a little bit, can't we? And we can start looking around at the storms around us and get so focused on those that we fail to recognize that we have that anchor. And so what we have to do is we have to take intentional steps to apply the principles that we've learned today. It won't just happen by accident. You have to actually do some of the things that we've talked about when you go through those storms. Now, Abraham, Abraham, as I said before, he was not a perfect man by any means. He was a man of faith, absolutely. But there were some times in his life when he got away from God being his anchor, too. On at least two different occasions, there were powerful men who he thought might steal his wife away from him, and he lied to get through those situations. He failed God in those situations. But you know the good news is that at the end of his life that the writer of Hebrews could use part of a whole chapter of the Bible to write about the faith that he had that made him right with God. And the same thing is true for some of us. There's going to be some times in our life when we're going to go through storms and we're going to try to kind of let go of that anchor even though God's still holding on to us. That we're going to fail God. But the good news is that we can still rely on the promises of God because those aren't dependent upon what we do. Those are His unconditional promises to love those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to close this morning with one of those promises that comes to us from Philippians. Here's that promise. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ let's pray father we do thank you for that we thank you that you will bring us to that final day because it's your promise father it's not dependent on what we can do i pray this morning father that First of all, for those who don't know Jesus, who've never put their faith in him, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them, convicting them of their sin, of their need for a Savior. Father, I I just want so bad for them to have that anchor that you want to provide to them. And so I pray right now that you would draw them to you. Father, we know that until you do that, there's really nothing more we can do than just to share your word and trust that you'll do your work. Father, I also know, I, I can think of a couple people right now that I know are in our body, they're hurting really bad, that are going through some really rough storms. And I pray for them that you would be that solid anchor. I pray that they would understand that. I pray that they would know that without a doubt, that they, they would have that confident expectation in you as they go through those storms. And Father, for the rest of us who might not be doing that right now, I know that there will be a time when that happens, and I pray when those times come in our life that we would just hang on to Jesus as he hangs on to us. Pray that in his name. Amen.